Open your Bibles to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 34, starting at verse 30 toward the end of Genesis chapter 34. I want to speak to you on the subject, the returning backslider. Genesis 34, verse 30. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number. And if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they replied, Should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come. Let us go up to Bethel, where I built an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had, and the rings in their ears. And Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Then they set out. And the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them, so that no one pursued them. Jacob and all the people with him came to Luz, that is Bethel, in the land of Canaan. There he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your Holy Spirit to be upon every mind that their perception of what I say will be received, applied, understood as you intend and upon my tongue that I will be a transparent instrument to say everything you want said, nothing you don't want said. I pray that this will be a life-changing word could it be that you've brought someone here who needs this word you've brought someone here today for whom what I have to say is tailor made we thank you that you love everyone as though there were no one else to love and though there could be hundreds in this place you have your finger on the life of one person and grant that that person will take this word never to be the same again. 
And may this word bring great honor and glory to your name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My message today is for the backslider. Now, a backslider is one who has slid back from where he once was. Or you know the expression, you've gone off the boil. You don't feel the same as you used to. You may say, well, RT, I'm not a backslider. But backsliding is by degrees. On a scale of 1 to 10, let's say. 10 being the worst possible scenario. Uh, Gone right out in the world. Left the church, fallen to sin, perhaps sexual immorality. That which brings great disgrace upon God's name. That would be a 10. 1 would be maybe... You're feeling sorry for yourself. Have you become indifferent and, and so forth? But the point is, backsliding is by degrees. And by that scale, we've all been backsliders at one time or another. But we're talking now about one of Jacob's defining moments. We're in a series of messages on defining moments of the major players of the Old Testament. And we looked at Jacob's defining moment a couple of weeks ago. He came to this place, never been there before. It's simply called a certain place. He wouldn't have known what that place would mean to him down the road. It was where God met with him. It was so real. It was his first defining moment. But some of us have more than one defining moments. And what happened is that Jacob had got off the rails a bit, surprising as it may seem, even though he had marvelous experiences with God, something happened, and he had lost what he had. And I wonder if there's someone here, you know what it is to have had a touch of God on your life. Once you have known the immediate and direct presence of God, nothing else will satisfy you again. And I've got a feeling there's someone here, God has brought you here. You have known better days. You have known a sense of God. You knew his touch on your life, and something has gone wrong. And I ask you, would you like to get back what you abandoned what you left behind. Now, sometimes backsliding is so gradual. It's not a case of once, crisis, you just turn away. It's usually by degrees. And we're going to see how Jacob got into this situation. But this is a word where you need to do what Jacob did. God says, go back to Bethel. Bethel is where it happened. And God says, go back to that certain place. And it was a place very real to Jacob. That's where he had a dream. He saw the glory of God. He heard God speak. And you see, what was important to him is that that's where he got to know God himself, for himself. 
Maybe you know what it is to be brought up in a home where you hear of great things, and now it's you. You've heard about your grandfather, how he knew God. You've heard about your parents, and you think, could I be like them? Here is Jacob. He grows up, he grows up knowing about the legendary Abraham. His grandfather was Abraham. His father was Isaac. But up to now, it was all hand-me-down, second-hand religion. But it was at that certain place, and he named it Bethel. And the interesting thing is, when he first got there, he had no idea what was going to happen. In fact, we read, he says, the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. I was not aware of it. Let me ask you a question. How long does it take you to recognize the presence of God? Many of us are so prejudiced, and we are so opinionated, and we're so sure that if God shows up, we'll be the first to see it. We'll be the first to know it. And it's easy for a person who knows a little bit of history of revival, you know what God has done in the past, you know your Bible pretty well, and you come upon a place and it's different, and it is said, this is where God is at work. You think, that's not God. That's not God. I still get letters. People say to me, R.T., is it true that you endorsed the Toronto blessing? That's what it was called some years ago. And I write back and I say, yes. I never will forget when I first heard about it. I was having a meal in um, Gerard Street in Soho, Lyndon Bowring, Charlie Colchester, and I were going to go see a film, Schindler's List in Leicester Square. So we go an hour early to a Chinese uh, restaurant in uh, Gerard Street. I could take you to the restaurant. I could take you to the table, if it's still there, where Charlie Colchester just spoke up and said, have you guys heard about this Toronto thing? No, what do you mean? Well, he said, you know, they pray for people and they fall to the floor and they laugh. I said, what? Yeah, he said, uh, Sunday night, Serena and I left, 11 o'clock at night, Holy Trinity, Brompton. There were 50 bodies on the floor laughing their heads off. So what do you guys think of that? Well, if you'd put me under a lie detector and asked me, did I think that was God, I would say, no. But for one thing, I didn't want it to be of God. I find that offensive. The big deal was, if it was of God, it would have come to Westminster Chapel first. <laughs> when I heard about it, I said, that can't be. Anglican, Church of England. We all know the Church of England is apostate, and the Etonians there at Holy Trinity and with their posh accents. God wouldn't do that. But you know what? I was wrong. Some weeks later, I had to climb down. And how easy it is, because we're so biased, it's our culture, we think it's spiritual. Jacob 
comes into a spot that's going to be very, very special to him. But let me ask you another question. One is to ask, how long does it take you to recognize the presence of God? How long does it take you to miss the presence of God? How long does it take you to become aware? Hey, I don't feel his presence anymore. What's gone wrong? It's like Joseph and Mary, when Jesus was 12, they'd been to Jerusalem. Now they head back to Galilee. They went a whole day's journey. They thought Jesus was with them because he was always with them. And a whole day, probably 15 miles, it was a caravan, donkeys and so forth, camels. And they said, where is Jesus? Well, we thought you knew where he was. No, where is he? They realized they'd gone a whole day without him, and they had to go back to Jerusalem and find him. It's easy to go ahead of the Lord. One of the easiest things in the world to do is to get ahead of God. And some of us don't like to admit that's happened. and can go not for a day or two, but for a long time. How long does it take you to admit you've lost something and you recognize that what you had is not there anymore? Well, you see, it was at Bethel that Jacob first had a taste of seeing the face of God. And it was where he had a taste of knowing the faithfulness of God. This is the amazing thing. He had never known God directly. It was always through someone else, hand-me-down. But when God appeared to him, and he realized that the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac was going to be his God, and he was so thrilled. The Lord was in this place, and I didn't know it. And he anointed a stone that he used for a pillow and called it Bethel. But that was also a place Not only had he come face to face with the presence of God and knowing his faithfulness, but that's where he first experienced, are you ready for this? The fear of God. Jacob said, I was afraid. Have you ever been afraid of God? Well, no, R.T., surely God wouldn't want that. Really? Where did you get that? Do you not know that the first message of the New Testament, John the Baptist, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? We're so afraid if we preach that, no one will come. Do you know they came from Jerusalem? They came from every place to hear this message. The fear of God, it has almost completely vanished No fear of God in the land. No fear of God in the church. Mary, Queen of Scots, once said that she feared the prayers of John Knox more than an army of 10,000 men. Today, nobody's afraid of the church. But it was at Bethel. Jacob experienced the fear of God. Now, the interesting thing is that after that moment... He was to get to know God in other ways. I could mention several, but one of them, he came upon a certain place when out of the blue someone leaped on him. It was an angel, but he didn't know it at first. And there's a wrestling match. And they're wrestling. 
And at first, Jacob is trying to get away from this man. But there comes a time in the wrestling match when Jacob, instead of trying to get away from him, said, I'm not going to let you get away from me. He realized it was his friend. And he now says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And it was there that God changed Jacob's name to Israel, which means you've struggled, but you've overcome. You've struggled with God, and you've overcome. Well, you would have thought, with an experience like that, never could you backslide after, after a moment like that. Maybe you have known such experiences with God. You thought, after this, I'll never doubt God again. After this, I'll never have a problem. Well, I can tell you, in the ensuing years, Jacob slowly became an example of backsliding. Now, two things contributed to Jacob going off the boil. The first, he was motivated in those days by a spirit of fear. Did you know that Jacob lived in fear nonstop, day and night, for years? Do you know why? Because his brother Esau had made a vow that one day he would kill Jacob because Jacob had first stolen Esau's birthright and then he tricked his father and so that Jacob got the patriarchal blessing which is the most coveted thing you could get when God swears an oath to you. Jacob got that. Esau said, I will kill him one day. And their mother, Rebekah, said to Jacob, you better get out of here. Your brother is going to kill you. He's, he's determined to kill you. Okay, that's why Jacob left the first time. So when he comes to Bethel, he has this experience with God, and he knows that God's with him. Despite all that he had done that was wrong, because Jacob must have had horrible guilt stealing Esau's birthright and what he did to play that trick to get the patriarchal blessing. And Jacob would think to himself, I'm such a horrible person. God will never deal with me again. But that was where he had the vision of the angels on the ladder reaching up to heaven. He heard God's voice, experienced the fear of God. He knew God was with him. But there was one thing that he still had, and that was the fear of Esau. You would have thought he wouldn't worry about that. God said, I'm with you. God proved he was with Jacob, but it didn't stop him. Jacob lived in fear day and night that one day Esau would kill him. There are two kinds of fear. Fear of man... Fear of God. The Bible says the fear of man will be a snare. What's the fear of man? Well, maybe you're afraid someone's out to get you. Maybe you live in constant fear that you're going to be exposed. That skeleton in your cupboard, somebody's going to tell about it. You live in fear of that. You live in fear that they're going to get even with you. Or there's another kind of fear of man. It's the approval addiction, where you need somebody's approval, 
not God's, what people think. And you cannot move an inch without knowing that they think it's all right. You know, when I mentioned the Toronto blessing a while ago, I think one of the main things that people accompanied with the Toronto blessing is that even if I thought it was of God, I can't be seen admitting it because of what my friends will think. And there are a lot of people that let what people think control their major decisions. You need to get over that. You need to come to the place that you just want the presence of God, whatever the cost, wherever it takes you, whatever reputation you may lose. And by the way, do you know it was the fear of man that caused Israel to miss their Messiah? I have people ask me from time to time, how could Israel have missed their Messiah? I've written a book with Rabbi David Rosen, who is the most decorated rabbi in Israel. He's now Sir David Rosen. He was just knighted by the queen a year or two ago. He and I are good friends, and I wrote this book with him trying to convert him. And he would answer my letters explaining why he's not a Christian. And and, uh, you think, well, how could he not see it? How could he not see it? Well, I can tell you what caused the ancient Israelites to miss their Messiah. You know what it was? They lived by consensus. They all would be in agreement. We all agree. Pharisees, Sadducees, this Jesus of Nazareth, he's not it. Right? Right. So they all agree. And, and they wouldn't oppose anybody because they'd be thrown out of the synagogue. So they all together said, you're not the one. And Jesus addressed them one day. You know what he said? He said, how can you believe? How can you who receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? I just quoted John 5, 44. For what it's worth, that's my life verse. John 5, 44. When I sign a book, I, I used to sign John 5.44, and then people come back to me and say, why did you give us that verse? Are you trying to say something to me? So I, I stopped it. I signed Romans 8.28. All things work together for good, and, and they don't come back. Uh, but my life verse is John 5.44. I have sought. I don't say I've succeeded 100%, but I have sought to be governed by that principle. Not wanting the honor of people, but wanting the honor of God. And so Jesus said to them, John 5, 44, how can you believe? In other words, you can't. You can't. Because you are addicted to what people think. You can't believe. And there are some of you, I don't mean to be unfair. There are probably people here, you wonder why you don't have more faith? You wonder why you don't have trust? It's because opinions of people mean more to you than having the honor of God. And you see, it was not on the ancient Jews' radar screen to have the honor that comes from God alone. They couldn't imagine anything like that. I challenge you. I challenge somebody in this place. Find out what it would be like to have just His honor. Away with what people think. But you say, Lord, 
I want to know what you think. I want to please you. I don't care where it leads. Well, that is the opposite of the fear of man. But you see, here was Jacob, lived in fear that one day Esau would get him. By the way, it's very interesting. We won't get into that in this series, but I'll just tell you now, Jacob didn't need to worry. The time came when he was to meet Esau, and boy, when he heard that Esau was going to see him the next day, he was terrified. He divided all the group into three parts in case Esau got this, there'll at least be two left. He was so sure Esau was going after him. When they met, Esau embraced him. It's so good to see you. It's wonderful. The whole time, Esau didn't, uh, Jacob didn't trust Esau. He, but the truth is, it was a happy meeting. He didn't need to worry. In any case, Jacob still was afraid of Esau. But then there was another thing that happened. And that is trouble that came from his daughter Dinah. Now we know about the sons of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. Uh, Not much is told about Dinah except in one chapter. And Dinah was the daughter of Leah. Last week I spoke on the unloved woman, Leah. And so we read in Genesis 34 verse 1, Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, had... Uh, the daughter Leah had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. Now, that seems innocuous, harmless. She's going to visit the women of the land. But what a man is, she's leaving home now. It's like going out into the world. How much Jacob was aware of Dinah and whether he cautioned her. There are those who can't wait to get away from home. They want to come to London, the big city. I wonder if they get warned. Do you realize you're going to have temptation you've never had before? There will be things you've never seen. You'll be tempted to do things you've never done. Be very careful when you get out on, get out on your own. Well, that was Dinah. She wanted to get out on her own. And we're told Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, ruler of that area, saw her. He took her and violated her. And that's her taste of leaving home and going out into the world. Is it possible there's somebody here like that? When you got out in the world, you were compromised. Your life was never to be quite the same again. Well, the truth is, uh, Shechem was very drawn to Dinah. And he loved her. And he went to Jacob's sons and says, You know what? I so love your sister. And I want to marry her. And I want your blessing. And can't we all be one big family? Well, uh, sons of Jacob thought it over and says, okay, we'll make a deal. Because all of us are under a covenant of circumcision. If you want us to treat you like family, here's the deal. All your males be circumcised. 
That's the deal. If all of your males become circumcised, then we'll all be one big family. Well, they had a committee meeting, came back. Yes, we'll do it. Okay. So all their males were circumcised. But two of these sons, Simeon and Levi, very shrewdly, waited until the third day, which is the time when the greatest pain sets in on those who've been circumcised. And so we're told that at that moment, while all of them were in pain, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attacked this unsuspecting city, killing every male, and they wiped out all the Shechemites. I mean, they were destroyed. There were none left. No males. Gone. Now, you would have thought that Jacob would be proud of them. You see, every boy lives for the approval of his father. We all need parental approval. I always wanted the approval of my dad. Went for years without it, painful years. Got it eventually, but I thought it would never happen. We all want parental approval. And so here come the two sons, Simeon and Levi. They think that their dad, Jacob, is going to say, well done. You got rid of all the Shechemites, and you brought Dinah back. Do you know what Jacob says? He says, you have brought trouble on me by making me a stench to the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number. And if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. What a reaction. First, he's filled with unbelief. He's forgotten that God says, I will bless you. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm your God. I will bless your seed. You don't need to worry. It's as though he completely forgot that. He says, we'll be destroyed. We'll be destroyed. And he's Overcome with self-pity. This is one of the signs of being a backslider. Filled with self-pity. And imagining you've got no future. That's a sign of being a backslider. You feel you've got no future. Well, this is when Jacob has now reached a low. No one would have thought it would happen to him. But now he is a backslider. And it stemmed from two things. First, problem with family. And second, problem with fear. Family, his brother Esau, uh, he thought would, would kill him. But now he's got problem with his own children. And he's lost their support. And then the problem with fear, he was so sure he would not survive. It was the lowest ebb in Jacob's life. Could it be that there is someone here right now? You, as I speak, are at your lowest ebb in your whole life. I've got a feeling there's someone here. This is it. It's never been worse. This is it. Worst trial of your life. God's on your case. No accident that you're here. Well, when Jacob was at his lowest, 
Here's the wonderful thing. God stepped in. And we read in chapter 35, verse 1, Then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel. The place where I appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. Go back to Bethel. And that is what God is saying to somebody here. You've got yourself in a bit of a mess. You've gone out without the Lord. You've moved ahead and you thought he was with you and you realize you've messed up big time. And God is coming to you right now and says, go back to Bethel where we first met, where you first met the Lord. This is a marvelous thing, the most wonderful thing that God would step in means God loves us with an everlasting love. As I was preparing this talk earlier today, I thought of a hymn. I haven't sung it in years. I wonder, anybody here knows it? Oh, love, that wilt not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe. That in thine ocean depths its flow may richer Go back to Bethel. God is on your case. He will not let you go. You are loved with an everlasting love. You try to run from God, you can't. God said to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no. And God said, really? God prepared the wind, God prepared the fish, and in the belly of the fish, Jonah cries out, Oh God, give me another chance to do what I didn't want to do. Oh love, that wilt not let me go. And so God stepped in. Four things. Remember. Remember when God was real. Second, Return. Go back to the place. Doesn't mean the physical place, but symbolically, get to that moment. Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, you left your first love. Go back. Third, repent. Repent. In fact, listen to what happened. Jacob says to his household and to all who are with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you. Purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let's all go to Bethel, where I will build an altar God to God who answered me in the day of my distress. And so they gave Jacob all the foreign gods. How did they get them? Idols. Where did they creep in? 
How did Jacob know about them? Or why hadn't he done something about them? Get rid of all the foreign gods. It says they took all their rings, rings in their ears. Why do that? Well, they'd come from Shechem. They wanted a complete detachment from that whole era. All the foreign gods, all the rings, all the jewelry. And you know what they did? Jacob buried them. Buried them under the ark of, at Shechem. Is it possible that someone here, maybe, you've got involved in the occult? What's that? Ever play with a Ouija board? Stop it. Do you read your astrology chart? Stop it. You're wearing a good luck charm? Throw it away. Bury it. Throw it in the Thames. Anything demonic. It's linked to the demonic world. Don't go near it. It's got to go. Well, how did Jacob know to talk like this? It was the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit stepped in. You see, when one goes out into the world, you come into the occult, all kinds of things, and I think I'm supposed to mention sexual immorality. Is it possible there's someone here? You're doing things you thought you would never do. At first it was you felt guilty, but now you're getting used to it. Or is there someone here, as I speak, you're right in the middle of an affair, or you're thinking about having one. I've got a word for you. Have you heard this before? Stop it. Stop it. Break it off. It's only a matter of time. You'd give a thousand worlds to turn the clock back to this moment. Maybe God has caught you just in the nick of time. Well, here's the wonderful thing. Jacob said to the family, we're all going back to Bethel. Good news, nobody said, I'm not going. They all went. This is a wonderful moment. This was his new defining moment. And so they go back. They realized things had gone wrong. Family divided. Jacob now living in terror, terror that the Perizzites, the Canaanites, are going to come and attack this little family, this little group. Guess what happened? Not, it didn't happen after they got to Bethel. No, as soon as they started on their way, it says they set out and the terror of God fell upon the towns all around them. The thing Jacob dreaded the most is that all those Canaanites, parasites, will attack Jacob's family. God stepped in and scared them so that they were afraid to touch the seed of Jacob. You see, this is what happens when a church gets right with God. We're living in a time when the church is asleep. We're in the period of the ten virgins in Matthew 25. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered. The church is asleep. 
You don't know you were asleep until you wake up. The church doesn't think it's asleep. The church is asleep. And when we sleep, we dream. We do things in our dreams we wouldn't do if we were awake. And so the church, in this state of slumber, involved in things they wouldn't do. As a result, no fear of the church today. There was a time when people feared the church. Mary, Queen of Scots, said she feared the army of John Knox. Sorry, she feared the prayers of John Knox more than an army of 10,000 men. Today, who, who's afraid of the church? Do you know anybody that's afraid of the church? They thumb their nose at us, didn't bother them. They make fun of us. No fear. And worst of all, society has reached rock bottom. This last week, I heard Michael Eaton speaking on Romans 1, and he dealt with the different layers of degradation. It starts out with people not being attracted to their opposite sex, but same sex. And they do things that are unthinkable. And it gets lower. And at the bottom, it says, they were filled with sin. The polar opposite of being filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with sin. And Michael Eaton said there have been times when society was like that. 18th century England, it was lowest as you could get. God stepped in, raised up John Wesley, George Whitfield. The Wesleyan revival saved England from the same situation France got into later. Secular historians acknowledge this. And this needs to happen again. We're at the very rock bottom. We can pray that it won't be long, that God will step in. Well, Jacob goes back to Bethel. He renews his vow, the vow to be faithful and the vow to be thankful. Could it be that that would summarize everything in your case? You need to come back to Bethel. Renew the vow. Jacob made a vow to be faithful to God and to be a thankful man. I'll be speaking next week on Palm Sunday. We'll talk about gratitude and praise. God hates ingratitude. God loves gratitude. When you start to be thankful... And so, Jacob goes back to where it all began, his walk with God. And there's one other little thing. Don't be angry with me for mentioning this, but I have to say it. One of the vows he made when he was at Bethel, he said, I will give you, Lord, a tenth tithing. I don't mean to be unfair, but is there someone here? You made a commitment to the Lord. You give him one-tenth. And you haven't kept it. Not good. God notices those things. Part of your vow, I will give God what is his. Well, the terror of God fell upon the land. And when the church gets right with God, they will respect us. There will be a fear of us as there was in the book of Acts. All right, I'm finished. Who's the person that God's got in mind? I think he or she is here. 
If you know that this message is for you, are you prepared today to say, I'm going back to Bethel? I'm going back to Bethel. And I signify it because I'm going to stand up right here in this congregation before God and the angels and say, Lord, I'm coming home. Is there that person here? You see, God's on your case. You might be the only one. It'd be a bit scary if you are. But you say, I just want the world to know. I want the angels watching. I want God to know. I want everybody here to know. I'm the returning backslider. If you're here, I want you to stand to your feet right now. Just stand. You're the one. God's on your case. Here's one. There they are. Don't clap. This is, this is a serious moment. Different ones. Having the courage. You see, there's one up there. This is honoring to God. For these to say, Lord, I'm coming home. You can be seated. Well done. One last thing. Do you know for sure if you were to die today, would you go to heaven, do you? One day you will stand before God. That's coming. And what if he were to ask you? He could do. Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? If God says, why should I let you in? What would your answer be? Where will you be 100 years from now? That's the very question that I asked Yasser Arafat. What made me think of Arafat is I thought of something as I was preparing my sermon today. I went in to see Yasser Arafat, and I realized by the different signs, I said to him, I said, do you know where we are? It was Ramallah. It was the headquarters for the PLO. I said, do you know where this is? I said, this is Bethel. He said, I know that. I'm in Bethel. I'm at the spot. It was an amazing feeling. I'm at that very spot. And I said to Arafat Ra'is, which is the Arabic word for president, where will you be 100 years from now? The issue, 100 years from now, you won't care whether you got the, Isra- the Israelis get Jerusalem or you get it. Where will you be? And I'm asking you that. Where will you be? And God says, why should I let you in? What would you say? You say, well, I've tried to live a good life. I believe you, but that won't save you. I was baptized. I believe you, but that won't save you. I was baptized by a Baptist preacher. (laughs) You, my friend, are lost as a goose. I've kept the Ten Commandments. Well, you're a liar. I've lived by the Sermon on the Mount. You're a bigger liar. See, I've done my very best. I believe you, but I'm sorry that won't save you. Well, why won't it, R.T.? Because your very best will still come short of God's glory. There's one who did live his very best, the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth, who lived perfectly on this earth, never sinned, 
died on a cross, shed his blood, satisfying God's justice. And the moment you transfer the trust that you had in your good works to what Jesus did for you on the cross, you know what happens? All he did is put to your credit as though you'd done those things. It's called imputed righteousness. When God puts to your credit what Jesus did, and that's how you know you're saved. I've got one hope of going to heaven. Jesus died. Would you be willing to pray this prayer right now? Don't need to say it out loud. Don't even need to close your eyes. Just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. 